0: My family this year will be giving more to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering than we uh, have given uh, our entire time as a family. I want to ask you to pray and think about that. Uh, one of the reasons happens to be is that there is a wonderful word that is implied in Galatians three and four, our text this morning, that um, describes the posture of God towards all people on the earth. I heard about this father that um, uh, was celebrating, uh, helping to celebrate the birth of his son and uh, not the birth, but the birthday, and he gave him a card, and the card read like this. This year, I'm going to give you 365 gifts. I'm going to give you an hour after supper every night to spend with me any way you would like to. We will go where you want to go. We will talk about whatever you want to talk about. And we will play with whatever you want to play with or about. And every day he kept that commitment, except when he was out of town. And then the next year he renewed it to him. Ladies and gentlemen, I love stories like that because they demonstrate the posture of God and his desire towards every person in the world. And that is God wants to be everyone's father. Now you say, wait a minute, isn't God everyone's father? No, no, he really isn't. That doesn't happen until you embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But once you embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in a serious personal faith commitment, God becomes father. And that is why Jesus came. This morning begins a series of messages on he came for us, how the birth of Christ changes everything. Now, in this text, Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23, on down to chapter 4, verse 7, you really don't find the word Father mentioned at all to describe God. But the actions are clearly there. And in fact, in this text, the Apostle Paul speaks of the faith and our walk with Jesus Christ in household domestic terms to explain that Christ came to make God Our Father. Now look at some of these terms. Verse number 24. Therefore, the law was our pedagogos, our tutor or our guardian. It says there, to bring us to Christ. And that was a member of the household. I will explain later. And then verse number 27. For as many of you that were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Well, there's the pedagogos in verse 24. That's a guardian in the household that uh, manages a child from about the age six through the adolescent years. And then in verse number 27, there's clothing. So there's education, there's clothing. And then chapter four, verse number five, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons, women too. Uh, The sons were favored in those families. And when Jesus Christ comes into a light, there's an adoption that transpires. And men and women are elevated to the level of first century sons and beyond. This is family and domestic and household language to explain that Jesus Christ came in order to transform us into the children of God. And God the Father transformed from judge into the father of those who have embraced Jesus Christ, is Savior. Now, Galatians 4, four is the summary verse of this text. Look there. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. It was the right time when Jesus Christ came, and we may look at that one day. But the point is, is that Jesus was born of a woman. That means that the Son of God, who was a disembodied spirit, came and was born of a woman, and in his birth, he took on a human body to redeem us, to pay a price, to be a ransom. And so there is a vital, very serious, of utmost importance connection between Bethlehem and Calvary. When Jesus Christ was born, he embraced a human body that he did not have before his birth. He was God, disembodied spirit. But when he took on a body in Bethlehem, he took on a body that could do what other humans do, namely die. Jesus Christ took on a body in Bethlehem to die for us at Calvary. There was a birth in Bethlehem because we needed a death at the cross. So when we talk about the coming of Christ, we talk about everything from the birth to the death, and only a body can be raised from the dead. A spirit can't be put to death. Your spirit will never die. It will live and exist someplace in eternity. But a body can, and when Jesus came up out that grave, his body came with him. So there was a Bethlehem, not only because we needed a Calvary, there was a Bethlehem because we needed an empty tomb as well. Ladies and gentlemen, the birth of Jesus Christ changes everything. And that's why he came and was born. Now, this text teaches us uh, is tailored to teach us that no matter your status or stage, Christ's coming makes it possible for God to embrace you like the very best of fathers. Now, I know in saying something about fathers, it's much like Mother's Day. For some, Mother's Day, and speaking of fathers, brings a lot of joy, and it cheers your heart, and it brings warm memories. For others of you, that's a very tough subject because you've been profoundly... Uh, some of you have been profoundly disappointed. Some of you have been mistreated. And that's why sometimes those holidays are very difficult for some. We don't want to add to that pain. But let me say to you about God as Father. While your earthly father may have possibly disappointed you, and maybe your earthly mother as well, God the Father is the Father you have always wanted. Amen. That's what He is. What your heart aspires to, that is what God the Father wants to be and when jesus christ came he made it possible for god to transition from being your judge to being your father and so with christ coming with christ coming he can be your father now with christ coming how does god act as a father well there are several fatherly responsibilities in the text and the first is this that is education every good father is concerned about the education of children. And that's what's spoken of here in verse number 23 through 26. Read there with me. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Some of your translations read guardian. Both are accurate. To bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So there is an exclusivity here to the fatherhood of God. Only those who've come to Christ by faith are the children of God. And that's what this text is teaching us. In verse number 24, in verse number 25, he uses the term tutor. Or in the Greek text, pedagogos. Pedagogos is the term. And uh, I want you to learn to say that. Uh, Repeat it after me, syllable by syllable. Pay. Da-go-gos. Well, bless your neighbor by saying pay to go-gos. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a pay to go-gos would take over over the raising of a child. Oftentimes, this person was a male or female, and this person would uh, teach the child morals and manners and would conduct that child or transport that child from the home, oftentimes to a private tutor, especially in wealthy families. Now, there were some pedagogos in the first century that were wonderful and sweet and kind and remembered with sweet memories, but there were others that were mean. In fact, the ancient literature makes it clear, probably most of them were mean. Uh, There's a story about one of them that happened upon the young man that he was supposed to be looking for. He's in his teenage years and he and these boys are cutting up and they are uh, engaging in all sorts of wild behavior. And he grabs that young man by the ear and drags him brutally like a slave back home. And he drags the others to law enforcement for execution. That's what happened. Well, what the text is teaching us here is that the Ten Commandments are a pedagogos. The Ten Commandments function in our walk with God like a pedagogos. In fact, the entire law, the entire Old Testament does. It acts as a pedagogos. And the law is not one of these sweet things. The law can be severe. It can be harsh, and it always leads to death. And the design is to bring us, of the Old Testament and the law, is to bring us to the point where we are left with nothing but faith, the place in Jesus Christ. And that's what the text is teaching us. And it does that in three ways. One, it does it by types. Now, in Galatians 4, verse 21 on to the end of the chapter, there is a type that is there a type of Christ, an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ in Isaac. Well, Abraham had Ishmael, and he also had Isaac uh, before uh, Sarah passed away and died. Well, Ishmael was not the child of promise, only Isaac was. And so there would only be one seed or son of promise for Abraham, and it would not be Ishmael. It would be Isaac and Isaac alone, and the text makes it very clear that The promise of God was you would have a seed, singular, not seeds, plural. And so there would be one son, Isaac, not two sons, that would bring the promise of salvation to the world. Well, that's an Old Testament type. Jesus is that way. Only Jesus is Savior of the world. No other world religious leader or world religion is adequate to make us right with God. In fact, none of them are considering it. It is at best... Uh, a shot in the dark to be made right with God with all others. But in Christ, you can know now and you can know today whether you've made things right with God because Jesus does it for you when you place faith in Him. And there's nobody like Jesus. He's the one that can do it. And so the law is a pedagogos. You look at the law and the Old Testament especially, and it has these types, these pictures, these previews of what Jesus would do. But there's a second thing, not only the types, but also the demands of the law. The soul that sins, it shall die. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make a graven image. You shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And just with those four commandments that I've just mentioned, the whole world has become guilty. Because frankly, we've trusted and loved something greater than God. And we have physical objects at some point in our life that we love more than we do Him and trust more than we do Him. And then many people have used God's name in an empty way, in an insincere way. And then we haven't always kept the Sabbath day holy. We might keep a few hours at best, but sometimes the rest of the day is profaned with other interests. Those are just the first four commands. Then we get into honor your father and mother. When I came to Christ, that's what bothered me the most, that I had such a rotten attitude about my parents. And that drove me to seek Jesus and come to him. And so what is to happen and transpire is that we're to cry out to God after looking at the law like Paul did in chapter 2, verse 19. Look there with me. He said, For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. And that's the whole function of the law. It kills our hope. It kills a sense of self-righteousness. It kills self-confidence in being made right with God. And that's what the law does it gives us the knowledge of our own sin that we might be left with nothing but faith in Christ to make us right with God. So the types and then the demands and then the promises of the law. Oh, there's some wonderful promises to the law. Uh, Look at chapter three, verse six. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. the, The law makes promises. It has pictures or types It has demands, and then it has these promises. Even in the law, even in the Old Testament, we know that we can be made right with God just like Abraham, and Abraham was made right with God before there ever was a law for him to obey, because he came how many years before the law? He came 400 years before the law ever came to be, about give or take a few years. And so even before there were a Ten Commandments to obey, even before the law in the Old Testament were written down for God's people to read, Abraham was made right with God because you're not made right with God by obeying the law, but by coming to God by faith. And so Abraham was made right with God. Well, that's what the law, that's what the Old Testament does. It's a pedagogos. It's severe. It can be harsh, but it is given by God with a specific intention and a specific design. And when Jesus Christ died at the cross, he made it possible for the law, for the Old Testament to be nothing more than a pedagogos to lead us to faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, church, Jesus has been born. Jesus has bled. Jesus is alive again from the dead. There is someone to trust better than yourself. You can place your faith in Christ today. Now, John G. Patton was a great missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. And he was translating the New Testament into the language of the people there. And they did not have a word for faith. And he struggled mightily when he came to that dominant New Testament concept. And one day, somebody came out, uh, came into his, uh, his office there in the New Hebrides where uh, he was working on the translation and struggling with the word faith and believe. And uh, the fellow came out of the field after working and he sat down in a chair and propped his feet up in another chair. And he said, I'm so tired, I've got to rest all of my weight on these chairs. And there was the idea. He said, what's the word for that? He said, word for what? Rest your entire weight. And he gave him the word and that became the word for faith in that translation of the New Testament. When you come to Jesus Christ, you rest your entire weight on him. You rest your guilt on him, your hope of eternity. And every, every bit of your life on Jesus Christ, you stake everything you've got that he is true and he is the living way. You rest everything on him. And you know, you can do that today. Many around you have done that today. When I'm finished preaching, we will sing a song, and we're going to invite you to come to Christ. We'll have staff here, and there at that moment, you can rest your entire weight on Jesus Christ. And by the way, sweet child of God, if you know Him, I want to encourage you, do that every day anyway. But that's how you get started with Him. And so God the Father can become your Father because Christ has come, and the first responsibility He takes care of is this, education. But there's a second, and that is clothing. That's what he does. Now, it's important to be clothed in Christ because that improves greatly our status before God. There are so many, however, even today, that may struggle because they have felt the pain of rejection. I know of one woman who lived with a fellow and that relationship broke up after her son was born. He didn't want anything to do with the boy. And then she married another and then married another. And I remember talking with her one day And she was sorrowful. She was ready for a change in life. And she said to me, she said, you know something? I just want someone to love me. I just want someone to love me. You know that thirst you feel in your heart for love? God put it there. He's trying to lead you to himself. I just want someone to love me. You know, we all want that. And we like to be congratulated, in fact. Um. I, uh, you may be, you're probably just like me. Uh, I appreciate nice things people say to me. I do. And th- the problem is, is that oftentimes we don't remember those nice things people say to us as well as we remember the unkind and harsh things people say to us, don't we? Most of our memories are the harsh things. I remember years ago, I was a uh, camp pastor for some youth camps, I did it for three summers, and over that time, I guess about 6,000 campers came, and we were evaluated by every kid and every counselor, and we had to review those every week. They would actually go through our director, and he would give to us whatever evaluations we needed to read. So in three summers, I was evaluated 6,000 times. And you know something? They were all sweet, except for one. I don't remember the nice things any of them said. 5,999 effusive compliments, and I don't remember one. But I remember the one that was harsh and ugly. Said, David Mills is the most arrogant person I've ever heard. It came from a church in Dallas that a few years ago was expelled by the Baptist General Convention of Texas, by the way. (laughs) But not over that issue. But we remember the things that are said to us that are harsh. And in fact, some of those bad memories you've got are like taking hot barbed wire and pulling it across your stomach. And some of you are feeling that today. You've had had a husband or a wife reject you. You've had children reject you. You've had an employer reject you. You've had others, and it hurts. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got good news for you in verses 27 and 28 for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ for there is neither Jew nor Greek there's neither slave nor free there's neither male nor female for you are all one with Christ Jesus it's not a horizontal unity it's a vertical unity with Jesus so look look here as many of you as were saved when you come to Christ you are spiritually baptized and immersed into Jesus that's not water baptism that spiritual baptism. For as many of you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you've put on Christ like clothing. And so, and then he goes on and he says there are lots of causes for social division and rejection in the first century. One of those might be that you're a Greek or a slave or, or a female. But when you come to Jesus Christ, all of those social considerations of rejection, causes of rejection, are eliminated. And you become one with Jesus Christ. Listen, when you come to Jesus Christ, because Christ has come, He's made it possible by His body going through Bethlehem and the cross and the resurrection. Because of that, you're able to be made one with Him. When you come to Christ or when you came to Christ, what God did is that He unified you and integrated you into Jesus Christ. You are not alone. In fact, your scars and wounds and failures are no longer visible to God the Father. Now, you're profoundly aware of them, and he knows about them as well, but what he's done is that he's integrated you into Jesus Christ and made you one with him. In other words, it's like you have been clothed with Jesus Christ, not just any clothing, not just royal robes, not just with the most appropriate sandals and the a royal ring upon your finger. Oh no, it gets better than that. You are actually clothed not with things, but with the person, not with the robe, but with Jesus Christ when you come to Him. And because Christ has done what He's done, because He has come, you are able then to wear Him as your clothing. And that's how you appear before Jesus Christ. Oh, my soul, I know you're painfully aware of your failure, of your embarrassing moments, of of the struggles that you've got. But I've got to say, whenever you come before God, all of that is eliminated. And he views you much like he does Jesus Christ. And so I appear before God because I know him. I appear before God as Jesus does. And I possess what he possesses. His past is mine. His future is mine. His current reality or his present is mine. His inheritance is mine. His standing before God is mine. And these, his past, his future, present, inheritance, and standing become mine because all of these that belong to me became his when he died at Calvary. And so you trust Jesus Christ. God becomes your father and at that point, God will no more reject you than He would reject Jesus. Clothing. But there's a third thing not only education and clothing, but adoption. By Christ's coming, the Father adopts us as family. That's chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Again, God the Father desires to have the posture towards everyone in the world to where He's the Father and He makes them part of His household and his family and you know can i tell you you know what i really like you, you may say that uh, one of my favorite things is to preach and to be a pastor and you'd be right but even more than that i like being a dad for me the definition of a dad is someone who for the sake of children has prolonged his adolescence oh i love it and so i've got a daddy dance and, and, and if you treat me nice, one day I'll show it to you, okay? I've got a daddy dance, and uh, I've got a special vocabulary with my children. I've got a way of handling them. I love it. And, and in fact, I really, really wish, now we've got the best youth minister in the state of Georgia. I'd be the second best. I wish that I could be a youth minister and preach every Sunday. I just love that kind of thing, all right? I love being a dad. And, and one of the neatest things was uh, when the kids were younger, uh, when I came home. Now, our children are about in two sets. They're six years between number uh, two and number three. We wanted them all two years apart, but the younger two were back-ordered. Um, but um, uh, when Jonathan and Hannah Grace, our older two, were young, I'd come to the house and to the door, and it didn't matter how difficult the day was, how embarrassing, how much of a struggle, everything was good with them, and they would rush up and, and, and grab me by the knees. And they would, they would cheer, and they would celebrate, and use the word daddy, 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 daddy daddy is home. And then they they got kind of older and occupied with their own lives, and then there were the younger two, so I got a double dose of it. And and they did the same as well. You you know, everyone wants to be celebrated, especially by your family. Now today, when I come home, (laughs) do you have any money? (laughs) Um... Let's see, what else do I hear? Do you have any money? Did you get my text? Oh, I hate that one. (laughs) And then finally, uh, did you bring home (laughs) Chick-fil-A? That's what I get. But everyone wants to be celebrated. Do you know something? That is God the Father's posture towards us. Now, that's what my children have done for me, but now we have flipped it. If I'm sitting in my recliner and one of the children walks into the house, you know what we say? Jonathan walks in. Jojo! I celebrate him and others do too. Hannah Grace walks in. Hannah Grace! Sarah Kate walks in. Sarah Kate! Luke walks in. Walks in. Everyone duck! <laughs> Luke! You're home. Great. You don't have any weapons. Great. Good. That's what we do. And so the role has been reversed. As a father, I now celebrate them, and you can have a walk with God to where God the Father in Christ celebrates you. I don't know if your family does that with you. In fact, some of you are really stressed from Thanksgiving, and some of you are looking towards stress at Christmas because you're concerned about that. But even if you're not, you've got to have this relationship with Christ, and that's what God the Father has done at the expense of the life of His Son. That's how important this posture of fatherhood towards the whole world is to Him. And the way He does that, because none of us are naturally born to God, He does this through adoption. Now look here, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Here's the background of adoption. Now, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians, again, and stewards until the time appointed by the father. There was uh, usually a ceremony between uh, at a certain age for most families, especially wealthy families, where the child would go from being something of a nothing to being a son, and he was elevated, and then could inherit the father's inheritance at a certain age. And Paul applies this in verse three. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. There's no actual ceremony where we become children of God. There's ceremony, not not with us. There's a ceremony with Jesus and it's called Bethlehem, Calvary and resurrection. That's the ceremony that elevates us from essentially nothing in bondage to the elements of the world and the world to become children of God. Now, that's the background that um, takes place here. Here's the price then of adoption. And in the ancient world, someone that wanted to adopt had to pay a great price. Usually it was a fatherless couple. The father wanted someone to inherit his wealth. He would oftentimes find a decent family in terrible debt. He'd pay off the debts in, uh, in return for that child becoming his heir. And so that's what we have there. But here's the price that he paid. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem or ransom those who were under the law. So He paid the price in the death of Jesus Christ. Listen, when you start thinking about God, please interpret everything in light of the cross. That's how deep His love goes. That's how extensive, that's how great, that's how amazing, that's how strong, that's how intense His love is. Never, ever forget the cross. And if you keep your nose in the Bible, you won't be able to. But that is how God wants to be known. He's the God who sends His Son to die in our place. And He takes on Himself as His own responsibility, our failure, our sins, our embarrassment and shame. So that's the price. Then there's the status, verse number five. To redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so we have been transitioned to the role of sons. And then here's the assurance, verse six. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The presence of the Holy Spirit within the children of God gives them the assurance that they actually belong to him. And then here's the future of adoption. Verse 7, Therefore you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. And so there's an inheritance. In fact, Romans eight seventeen will go so far as to say that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Whatever Jesus inherits and all the favor he has with the Father, all the affections of the Father poured out on Jesus, we get in on that when we come to Christ. Child of God, that's what you're looking forward to. If you don't know Him, that's what you can have by coming to Him today. So anyone who comes to Christ stands no chance of being humiliated before God and every promise that instead He would be celebrated. And so your current reality and your future is as bright as Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus becomes definitive for everything. Adoption. Because Christ came. So by coming, Jesus Christ provides us a Father who conquers failure and rejection and humiliation. Beloved, we all need Him. Well, what must I do? Well, will admit that you need Him. If with Christ, you're educated in the way of faith, without Him, you're living in ignorance and darkness. With Christ, you are clothed with Him. Without Him, you're naked and exposed before God all the failure and all the sin and all the rebellion, exposed to God. With Christ, I am adopted. Without Him, I'm estranged and alienated. You need to come to the point where you are willing to act on this, to make a decision for Him because you know that you need Him. So admit your need. But then there's another thing to do, and that is trash all the choices that have brought you to this point. I mean, you shouldn't be ignorant of this. you got a Bible. You should not be naked and exposed before God because He's available. See, And then you shouldn't be estranged because He's willing to adopt. He's paid the price. Listen, if, if you don't know Christ today, that's on you. That's not on Him. He's done everything necessary. And you've got to come to the point where you trash all of those choices that have brought you to the point where you've resisted maybe an arrogance or fear or pride or something. I don't know what it is, but you trash that. You, in your heart, reject every bit of that. So admit your need and trash these choices and then rest your entire weight on him like you have the pew underneath you. You make a choice. I'm going to cast it all on him. I'm going to trust him. He died for me. He rose again. He came. That makes all the difference in the world. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing, we will stand. Staff will be here. We're going to invite you to come and give your heart and life to Christ. Others of you have. And you need to become part of Beach Haven. Would you do that today? Obey God. Do what he wants you to do. Leave the outcome and the fallout and consequences to him. Just trust God and do what he says. There may be some other need as well. We want to invite you to come, but I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond to him.